morning, y'all. <laughs> I like that. Did you like that? Yeah, the first time I uh, met Claire's family, oh, speaking of morning, y'all, first time Honey, I met Claire's family. Distracted. Oh, yeah, let's do this. Anyway, um, so Claire's family, as some of you know, is like the collision of two histories. Claire's dad, a vice president of like a big corporation. My dad was steel worker. And then Both awesome guys. It all went in different directions from there. Anyway, the first time that uh, I met Claire's family, they had like this room in their house. Maybe some of you are familiar with this kind of room in a house. It was like a museum, like you weren't allowed to touch anything. Literally, you know, like I told Claire, I said, I thought there was going to be like one of those museum uh, like or art gallery ropes where I couldn't go by the couch. <laughs> And sure enough, when we would sit in that room, Claire would ask me to sit on the floor. So anyway, uh, but the first time I left, that's what I said to Claire's family, see y'all later, which really helped the whole vibe. Um, I just, and it's, it's all gone downhill from there. Anyway, hope you guys are well this morning. Uh, hi. Hi. This it's, is going to be fun. It is. I sense it already. It's good. Palm yeah. Sunday and uh, 40 days, nine ways to pray. So what you know, we've been going through this process of saying 40 days and nine ways, and we've looked at scripture, we've looked at fasting, we've looked at all different ways to pray uh, as you are as an individual. And uh, today we're going to talk about worship. Praying with your life. Mm. You're eating, drinking, walking around life, the life God's given you, not the life God's given me, your life. Uh, all of its present challenges and all of its present delights. This is your life, and God will be with us here as we give our lives to God. So um, that's, that's, um, I kind of want to go to the Keith Green song, but I know you want to save that. Yeah, well, let's read the scripture. Okay. Why don't we stand and read the scripture? Um, Claire and I will lead us, but I think it's just great to honor God in the reading of the scripture by standing. Just speaks, speaking of praying with our lives. After he had said this, speaking of Jesus, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And when he had come near Bethphage and Bethany... At the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? Just say this, The Lord needs it. So those who were sent departed and found it as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner asked them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord needs it. And then they brought it to Jesus. And after throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the road. And as he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, order your disciples to stop. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. So we're just going to have a little practice here. If you guys could just whisper the word Hosanna. Could you do that whisper? Hosanna. Now maybe a little louder, Hosanna. Hosanna. And a little louder, Hosanna. Hosanna. 
little louder. Hosanna. A little louder. Hosanna. One more time. Hosanna. Didn't that feel good? Yes. You know, there's something about this word Hosanna, which means God saves, that when we actually offer our whole bodies to it, we might get a little hint about God saving. There might be a way that we're letting go of something else and taking on the reality that God saves. So one more time, Hosanna. Are you ready? Hosanna! Okay, I have a few people in the hospital that I really love right now that are in, you know, really difficult circumstances. So I want to say it one more time. Hosanna! There are people in my life that they have no hope. That they don't know that God is the God who saves. And, and they have looked to many other things. So I want to say Hosanna for them. Hosanna! So many of you won't ever shout like me in church. And that is A-OK. But I want you to find somewhere where you could let your Hosanna rise up from the tip of your toes to the top of your head. You know, I remember my mom when she was going through a hard time one time, she was seeing a psychotherapist and that psychotherapist told her, go down in the basement and scream. And I really don't know that going down in the basement and screaming would help unless maybe you attached it to Hosanna, right? Like there's actually one who saves. And my friends, God saves over and over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. And so... Let that be the way we sit down today. Now you can sit and whisper, Hosanna. (laughs) So uh, we have been talking about uh, prayer over these weeks. And as Claire said, we want to consider worship as praying with our life. That in many ways, that's what prayer is. Francis of Assisi said it this way, we should seek not so much to pray but to become a prayer. And, and this was true of him. Scott and I walked in, he and St. Clair's footsteps, St. Francis and St. Clair um, in Italy. And we went to the places where they prayed, you guys, caves. They went in caves and prayed. Mm-hmm. They, ha- they were, you know, they didn't have padded kneelers. Um, they were praying in places that you would say, I'd be afraid to go in there without a nightlight or something. And these, the, the prayers of people that have gone before us to lead the way, to say we should not seek so much to pray, but to become prayer. Yep. And if you know about Francis and Claire, their work with the poor and the leprous, um, their lives were indeed a prayer. Yeah, and a more contemporary version of that quote uh, is a song that Claire and I have gravitated gravitated to the words of a song. We've kind of gravitated toward this song written by Melody Green, sung by Keith Green. And he, uh, these were the words to the first verse of that song were this, I make my life a prayer to you. I want to do what you want me to. No empty words, no white lies, no token, token prayers, no compromise. No token prayers, no compromise. Just think about that for a minute. If you think about your life and my life as a prayer, how is your prayer life going? If you consider that the way that you and I interact with the world is literally the manifestation of our prayer, the manifestation, the way that our life shows up 
is a prayer, how is your prayer life? is Is your life looking like an answered prayer, perhaps? Is your life showing up, maybe somebody else is crying out to God, and because you are so connected to God through prayer, through your life, your act of worship is showing up and making a difference in the world? Or would you say that there's places of growth that are needed? See, in some ways, worship, again, praying with our life, is an activation of our relational connection with God. It is our display of obedience and devotion. Our life, our worship, our praying and showing up with our life shows up in our obedience and devotion. And I would even say also our connection with God. In other words, it's a manifestation. Our life, the outward outworking of our life is a manifestation of what's going on in the inside of us. The prayer that is constantly going. The scripture says to pray without ceasing. And sometimes we think that that literally means that I've got to be talking, literally talking to God 24-7. But what it really means is that our life is a prayer. That we, we are to be mindful of Christ. That we are be, to be living in this connection with God. And that there should be this outward outflow of reality. What's going on in the inside of me, what's going on in the inside of you becomes an outflow of a loving reality, and it shows up on the outside. Imagine that when uh, Claire and I got married, that if, you know, we went through the ceremony, we, we did the I do's, we did the vows, and then we just simply cohabitated together. But we didn't relate, and we didn't work through difficulties together, and we didn't bring ourselves uh, individually and together to the world to make a difference, it's, it's hugely different than just living in a house together. And when it comes to worshiping God with our lives, when it comes to our prayer life and our prayer showing up as worship, what it really means is connecting with God, and then we become the hands and the feet of Jesus literally. Yeah, and, and the world starts to become different. Right. And when we went to Italy for this pilgrimage, we thought we were going to be walking in the footsteps of Francis and Claire and two other people, Scholastica and Benedict, for the entire time. But what ended up happening was our friend Rob ended up in the hospital with stage four kidney failure. And in a hospital where in Orvieto, not Rome. So Orvieto, like nobody's speaking English. And um, our pilgrimage ended up in a hospital. Have you ever thought you were going somewhere else? And then you ended up somewhere else. And you would say, but I'm supposed to be on a pilgrimage. And God kept saying, you are on a pilgrimage. And this is where I want you to be. I mean, we were in the parking lot uh, of this beautiful um, place, this thin place in the world where heaven meets earth. And we were in a hospital. I was looking from the parking lot at the hills that I was supposed to be walking in. And I thought, God, you know, is this really where you want me right now? Have you ever said that to God? Isn't there another place you want me right now? Why am I walking this path? Well, your life is a prayer. Your life is a prayer. And when you make that commitment to God, you never know where you're going to end up. And you say, hey, I paid for this. Right? Like I visit people in the hospital at home. Why am I, why did I pay to go on a pilgrimage and I'm in the hospital? Well, because praying with your life means walking by faith.
my friends. Can you say that? Walking by faith. Walking by faith. Walking by faith. Say it again. Walking, Walking by, by faith. faith. Look at this. Go to the village, untie the colt, bring the colt, tell anyone who needs this, ask the Lord needs it. Mm-hmm. How would you like to get um, that word from God? All right. Josh, I want you to go. Go to a village. I want you to go and get the keys to that Tacoma. And I know it doesn't belong to you and the guy doesn't know who you are, but just go, <laughs> go to that village and get in there and take the Tacoma and then, you know, bring it to me. And, and, and if he thinks you're stealing the car, just say, the Lord needs it. <laughs> I mean, we have to remember that this, this directive was scary. And, and God will ask you to do some scary things to worship. God will ask you to participate in a prophetic move because this is actually from the book of Zechariah. Uh, this entire, pra- uh, this entire uh, scripture is from the book of Zechariah. It was prophesied that there was going to be this cult that brought the king in. And so you're thinking to yourself, can't God do prophecies easier? Like God gives me um, $32,000 and I go buy a car and say the Lord needs it. Amen. But God's always got another idea. Go to the village, untie the colt, bring the colt, tell anyone that asks the Lord needs it. Think about this for a minute. I mean, where have you seen God say he needed anything in scripture? Okay, so the one time at the well, he asked for a drink of water. And what happens? Do you ever see water brought to him? No, he never gets any water. He preaches to the woman, he prophesies to the woman, he brings the woman into health and life. But did you ever see Jesus get the water he asked for? (laughs) No. Oh, okay, one other time, one other time in scripture. You tell me what else you see, but one other time on the cross, I thirst. Again, he's thirsty, and he gets a sponge filled with something else. I want to just say, friends, that there is this reality of God saying, I need something from you. I need something from you. And I, I wonder about how well I am attuned to hearing when God says, go do that, I need it. When you think about any good relationship that you had, if your friend said they needed something, you would do whatever you could to get that, to do that, to provide that. If it was your child, your friend, your brother, your sister, you would do whatever you could in your power. And sometimes I think we forget that Jesus is saying, hey, could you get me a colt? Could you go get this person something to eat or drink or wear? Would you make your life a prayer to me? I, I think we forget. We walk by faith, not by sight. This picture here is actually where you are right now. It was the land before this building existed. You know, there's always going to be an empty space before there's something on it. There's always going to be a need to say yes to something. And, and I, I'm, I'm asking God, would you please make me attuned to what you need, God? Because I don't know that I'm always hearing. And sometimes I'm, rel- I, I'm too reliant on what just the press of the day is. What is the tyranny of the urgent? I got to get that done. Now I got to do this and then I got to do that. Lord, what do you need today? Not what do I want? What do I need? How about that? Like not even go into prayer to say what I need. But to say, Lord, what do, you, what do you need? 
What do you need? I have to be honest with you. I, you know, I pray about a lot of things. I listen for God. I say, God, what do you want me to do? But I don't think I've ever said that. I'll say, God, what do you want me to do? I want to do your will. I want to walk in your will. But I've never used those words. Lord, what do you need? What if I began every day praying, saying, you know, Lord, what do you need? What do you need? See, I say that to Scott a lot because he's a person who doesn't ask for almost anything. And so I have to remind him that he has needs because he'll just spread himself out for every other human being. So I use that with him all the time. I say, what do you need? What do you want? You know, even something as simple as where to go out to eat, you know, whether it's going to be Wendy's or, you know, McDonald's. What do you need? Do you need a Big Mac or a Whopper? (laughs) What do you need? And I do. I ask him that a lot, but I've not used those words with God. And when when I read this this week, I thought, I want to make this a practice in my life. Not just, God, I want to do your will. I want to make it personal. Jesus, what do you need? Jesus, what do you need? I want to do that. The scripture tells us, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Yes. Can you imagine that God had needs before he made you for you to fulfill the needs that God had on the earth? I think that should take my breath away. That God prepared beforehand that I should walk in these things that God needed for me to do. So I think about our kids upstairs. You know, a lot of people will say things like, well, I'm not really called to kids. Well, I have to tell you, we, we have big holes in our children's ministry right now and need people. The Lord needs you. I just want to ask you, if, if you ask Jesus this week, Lord, do you need me with the kids? Because the kids really need some people that will be small group leaders for them upstairs. They really need people that will show up every week, that have the ability to be consistent and show up every week. So I just want to ask you, ask the Lord, Lord, do you need that? And, and the reason I say that is because this is our house, everybody, and these are our kids. So I don't know if you even have the courage to ask the Lord, Lord, do you need that from me? But I'm going to challenge you this week. Ask the Lord, do you need that from me? Because we have other people that have had to move out of that spot. Can you turn me down, please, Matt? They, they, you know, they had to move out of that spot. And so we have kids that need, to, need teachers that are, will be there consistently. Just ask the Lord, do you need it? And then don't stop there. I'm saying on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday, I'm going to wake up and say, Lord, what do you need from me today? What do you need from me today? It's a great week. As we're leading up to the resurrection, Mm -hmm. we might want to stop by and anoint Jesus' feet with oil. We might want to stop by and have communion with God. We might want to stop at the cross and look at what Jesus did to pay for our sins before we get to the resurrection. Yeah. And it's interesting that Claire mentions that it takes courage because it does take courage to take steps of faith, to ask God, what, what do you need? What do you need from me? Personalize it, like Claire says. Uh, and I think that when it comes to praying with our life, 
it's important that we also talk about worshiping with our life requires a vulnerability because it does require a level of courage. But it also, um, because of that, it requires a level of vulnerability. So the scripture says that they spread their cloaks on the road, right? So it's impossible to be true or authentic in worship without being vulnerable because them taking, when they took their cloaks off, when they spread those on the ground before Jesus, uh, there were a few different things that were going on. The first thing was, is it was not an uncommon practice when a conquering hero or a king would enter into a city, uh, if they were just coming back from battle and had just won a, a they were getting a hero's welcome, essentially. They would take their cloaks as a sign of submission to the lordship or the kingship of the person, the rulership of the person that was entering. So what they were doing was submitting to the fact they were acknowledging Jesus' lordship. So when we take our cloaks off, we make ourselves intentionally vulnerable before God. But secondly, you literally are opening yourself up, right? They're taking off their outer garment. They're putting it before Jesus, and it's a sign of vulnerability. It's a sign to you. Uh, you, are, you are in control of my life. I submit to that. I submit to your goodness. I, submit, I trust your goodness. And that's one of the questions when we pray with our life is how, uh, how vulnerable are we being? It requires vulnerability to say, God, um, I give my life to you. For some of us, maybe we've never given our life to Christ. And that's the place we need to start today is to simply say, I make myself vulnerable. I have sinned. I have fallen short of your glory, God, and I ask for you to forgive my sins. I throw my cloak before you as a sign, my life, I, I make myself vulnerable before you. Um, and for some of us, it's just about something else. It's about invitations that we have, as Claire saying, to, to new things, things that God might be asking us uh, to walk into. It's interesting, uh, when, when kids, little kids are beautiful to watch, and I think it's why Jesus consistently goes back to saying, you know, if you could just become like a child. Um, it was really interesting. Last night, we finished up with the marriage um, survivor time. We had a blast, too. Didn't we have a great time? We had a great time. A lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, you guys, mm-hmm. if, next time we do that, those of you that are married, you're not going to want to miss that. But um, anyway, so on the way home, we got this text that, uh, our middle son, Ian, and his girls were over uh, at one of our nieces' house, Danielle. So we went over there, and the, the three-year-old, Kirsten, um, when we pulled up in front of the house, they were doing a little sale, curbside sale, but the three-year-old was in the house, Kirsten. And we when spent we, 10 bucks on rocks. We did. We did. And this bracelet. <laughs> anyway, when we pulled in front of the house... Kirsten was inside, but she saw the car pull up, and she knew Grandma was in the car. And I guess Danielle said immediately she began to just jump up and down and say, Grandma's here, Grandma's here, I love Grandma so much. And just this uninhibited, like, I just love Grandma, right? Remember years ago, um, Dante, when he was little... When we would go out of town, we would come back into town and Dan, Dante would run up to Claire and he would grab her feet. He would literally get on the floor and grab her feet and he would say, Grandma's feet are home. Now that's embarrassing, isn't it? <laughs> but it reminds me, it's powerful, it reminds me of Jesus' 
thought it was no small thing for us to wash feet. How vulnerable are we making ourselves before Christ to wash God's feet? See, worship is opening myself up, yourself up to vulnerability. One of the most vulnerable, powerful scriptures, and we want to kind of pull it together with this, why don't we stand for this scripture, is in the book of Isaiah, where Isaiah expresses his opening himself up to vulnerability, to the need that God would have in his own life, and for him to worship with his own life as a prayer. And this is what the scripture tells us. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. And with two wings, they covered their faces. And with two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, Isaiah cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And then listen to God's response. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt has been taken away and your sin has been atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? In other words, who can do what I need to be done? And who will go for us? And I said, here am I, Lord. Send me. We said to each other this week, um, how do we want to live Holy Week? How do we want to live this week of openness to God as worship? How do we want to pray with our lives? How do we want to do that? And how do we want to help the people of God do that? And um, and so we're going to put up on our website and we'll send out for those of you who are on our newsletter list, we'll give you the scriptures of how the week lays out. Maybe you could read one every day about the steps that Jesus took on the way to the cross and to resurrection. And then every day we could ask God, Lord, what do you need? What do you need? And what do you want me to know? You know, many times um, we realize that we're finite. And I think Good Friday is just a touchstone for that, that there is this reality that the God who became man was killed. Richard Rohr says, if we do not recognize that we ourselves are the problem, we will continue to make God the scapegoat, which is exactly what we did by the killing of the God-man on the cross. The crucifixion of Jesus, whom we see as the Son of God, 
was a devastating prophecy that humans would sooner kill God than change themselves. Yet the God-man suffers our rejection willingly so something bigger can happen. And later in this writing he did, he said, your arms remain outstretched, embracing all the world. And when we think about Jesus being the sacrifice for our sins, when we think about the steps that Jesus took to the cross and we consider that we desperately need God's presence to change us and that death, burial, and resurrection, really, God's done all that, but there is something in us that needs to die so that we can live. There are things in us that need to go so that we can live. And many times we hope we can just come to church just to get just to get that word that makes us smile. Sometimes we need to come to church to get that word that makes us bow and say, God, I, I want all that is in me that needs to die to die so that I can truly live. I want all that is in me that has been pushing my life and driving my life and weighing my life down. God, I want to die to those things that I can really live. So I'm going to invite you just to bow your head for a moment. And and we're just going to sing this little song to you from Keith Green. I make my life a prayer to you. I want to do what you want me to. No empty words and no white lies. No token prayers, no compromise. I want to shine the light you gave. Through your son, you sent to save us from our death and our despair. It comforts me to know you're really there. And I want to thank you now for being patient with me. Oh, it's so hard to see. When my eyes are on me, I guess I'll have to trust and just believe what you say. Oh, you're coming again, coming to take me away. I made my life a prayer to you. I want to do what you want me to. No empty words and no white lies. No token prayers, no compromise. Search us this week, God, this holy week that leads us to the cross. 
and to the empty tomb. Let us walk slowly and reflectively. Let us live through the movements of the story that has changed the world. Bless our friends this week with the ability to pray that brave prayer, Lord, what do you need? God, help us hear and respond. God bless you guys. Amen.